Well, good morning, saints, and good morning, sinners. I was actually hoping to hear your voices today in response to that greeting, but uh, we as staff were all excited to gather together again as a church, but alas, it wasn't meant to be, and uh, as a matter of fact, there's some serious disappointment and even tears shed on Friday when the news came out. I want to share with you actually something that Pastor Andre sent a message to all of our staff at the end of the day on Friday. And I quote, he said this, I saw our team's true colors today, rising to the task and making things happen despite the impending restrictions. It was cool to see. Looking forward to moving ahead with all of you these next couple of weeks. Well, can I say this very simply? Uh, we have a great staff and our servant leaders who rose to the challenge this week, and uh, I appreciate them all so much. And I hate to say this, but I need to say this. To be in this auditorium with live music was amazing. So, I am still looking forward to the day when we can meet together, when we can sing together, when we can pray together, when we can have communion together, and simply encourage one another. And so without question, some people have taken the news of this latest pandemic response rather hard. I would almost say like a kick in the gut. But let me remind you, as Jordan said earlier, that it was Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Before I go any further this morning, let's just pray. Jesus, in times of weakness, in the hour of need, yours is the strength by which we carry on. The shoulder we rest our head upon. When our load is heavy and too much to bear, yours are the arms stretched out to help us and the grace that we need to depend on. And so in times of weakness, in hour of need, your voice is heard to us. It's come, find rest. This is grace divine. The path that we tread to wholeness of body and spirit. The path that leads to you and for which we offer our offering of praise. God, thank you for being present with us today. And we commit ourselves and this gathering to you. So I ask that you would speak to our hearts. Amen. Well, without question, there's a battle for our minds. And I'm not just talking about what we see on media and on social media, but there's a daily war that's going on inside of every one of our minds. How are you doing today is my question. How are you doing today? Seriously, how is your mind doing this Sunday, November 1st? I think you would like your mind to be filled with godly, loving, hopeful, and encouraging thoughts, would you not? <laughs> But do you wonder why it's so hard to keep your mind focused on good things? Does it frustrate you that your thoughts often sink into negativity, pessimism, anger, jealousy, and even revenge or rage? Do you think that God gets disappointed with you when your thoughts go dark? I think these are all valid and very good questions. I think, especially for us in Winnipeg, when we're trying to navigate what's going on around us. But the fact of the matter is, people, there's a battle that's going on for our mind. And there are invisible forces at work wanting to be 
the dominant influence on your thoughts because whoever wins that battle has the greatest influence on your actions. The battle is between God and the dark side and you get to decide who wins. Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore offer, therefore I urge you, um, brothers and sisters, to... Let me try that again. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and perfect will. Transformed by the renewing of our minds. Biggest question is, but how? I think a lot of times we get actually tired of hearing this verse because we try so hard uh, to change the way we think, to change the way uh, we do things, and we often fail. I need to say that our body is basically made up of three parts. I've actually called this life lesson Head, Heart, and Home, Surviving Mid-Pandemic. I pulled the idea from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23-25, to 25, that says, Now may the God of peace Himself make you completely holy, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you trustworthy, and He will, in fact, do this. Brothers and sisters, pray for us too. These last words of Paul are not his dying words. They're his concluding words to his first letter to the Thessalonians. And these words are significant because they make it very clear uh, to the reader just what 1 Thessalonians is all about. And what Paul has to say to the saints and what Paul has to say to us is obvious and is very important, obviously, and so it should be important to us as well. And most people think of three components of every human being as body, soul, and spirit. And Paul doesn't write these words with the primary goal of telling us the key to understanding the nature of mankind. As a matter of fact, when we begin to read the Scriptures, uh, the most frequent expressions found in the Bible related to man's human nature are found in Deuteronomy, where it talks about heart, soul, and mind. Uh, Deuteronomy also talks about just heart and soul. Matthew says, heart, soul, and mind. Mark says heart, soul, mind, and strength. Psalms, Isaiah, and Matthew say soul and body. Hebrews, Job, and Isaiah say soul and spirit. All that to say that there's really no standard way of referring to the nature of humankind. But frankly, there is even no agreement as to the definitions of terms between soul and spirit. If you go to Hebrews chapter 4, 12, the, the writer indicates that the distinction between soul and spirit is so difficult that only God's Word can divide the two. So with all that said, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, this verse, Paul refers to God as the God of peace. God has given the Thessalonians peace when they trusted in Jesus as their Savior. Paul insists on and in Romans 5.1, that justification by faith brings those believers peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, Paul prays that God, who gives us peace, would make the Thessalonians completely separated unto Himself so that their spirit, their soul, their body would be free of any accusation when Jesus returns. So how's your peace today? 
Again, remember Jesus' word. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, come to me and I'll give you a to-do list to fix it. Or I'll show you how to fix it and you can go and show others as well how to do it. He says, come to me if you're tired of hiding, if you're tired of trying to make it on your own, if you're tired of keeping up with the appearances, come to me and I'll give you rest. Are you anxious? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you sad? And again, most people think of the three components of every human being as being body, soul, and spirit. In Thessalonians, Paul actually reverses this order. He gives the highest priority to the spirit, the lowest priority to the body. Because our spirit connects us to God. It enables us to worship God and to have fellowship with Him. And God enables us... uh, uh, the, the soul is then the seat of emotions and it. it makes us conscious of our being. The body itself, it, it connects us with our environment and we need to be kept faultless, so to speak, uh, by God in our worship of Him and in our fellowship with Him. We need to be free of any legitimate accusation in our inner being, in our social relationships. This is what, this is what Paul's talking about in Thessalonians. But what happens when we're off? What happens when you're off? You ever wake up and you just feel off? When your body is off? When our mind is just off? When our spirit is off? And see, I believe that most of us see the importance of holistic health. Being healthy in our head, being healthy in our hearts, being healthy in our home, and In reality, all three areas actually are very interconnected. They actually impact one another, which also impacts the way that we interact and feel and even relate to other people in our lives. And I think we need to address all three issues in ourselves. The body or the home, as I call it. It refers to our physical health. The head is is our mental health. The heart is our spiritual. So how healthy is your body? How healthy is your soul? How healthy is your spirit? You know, uh, how many sermons have you heard about physical health? I'm going to presume probably not many. Uh, most life lessons here at Soul are based on obviously our spiritual life and, and our mental health, so to speak, but there's astounding evidence that issues of physical health are issues in Canada today. Maybe it's time that the church starts addressing some of these. Three in five Canadians are either overweight or obese. 21% of those Canadians are obese, according to the Public Health of Canada. Many of us, including myself, are wearing our COVID right 19, right around here in the form of a wrestling belt, a tidal roll, if I could use that expression. And yet when we come together at the church, we discover mar- discuss marriages and finances and sex, and parenting, why not holistic health? You know, church is where we learn about God, and if the church isn't teaching what God says about health and self-care, then where do we get our information from? 
And you look at our media, because the media is so quick to entice us with these extreme diet plans. I have a little, my Instagram, you know, how you drink something and it works off weight at night. And there's these before and after pictures and pills that lead people down a, a defeating path where weight becomes an idol. And maybe it's just time to start the conversation. Here are some reasons health really does matter to God. And why I think the church, we, we need to speak up and we need to address about the physical, about what's going on here. Because our bodies are the temple of God. We looked at it earlier in 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Our bodies are holy. Taking care of our health is actually good stewardship of the temple of God. This should bring um, conviction and not maybe condemnation. You know, it's not you, about you worrying about your weight or beating yourself up about how you look. It's just being mindful, people, on how are we treating our body, especially for those of us here in Winnipeg where the shutdown is real. Where it's very easy for us to grab those Doritos or a bucket of ice cream or all those Halloween candy and indulge. And I am just as guilty. You know, it's our comfort food, right? And yet Scripture says that whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Oh my goodness. It isn't always easy. Most people don't go to God and ask God for help forming healthy, healthy eating habits or exercise routines. But in reality, we can. We can ask Him for help. He gives us the spirit of self-control. And anyone who has been on a diet or a workout plan knows that willpower doesn't always last, right? A greater power is needed. Sometimes that's in the form of a coach or a trainer or a mentor. And other times it's in the form of the Holy Spirit who is, who is always there and ready to help us at all times. So God, in His unimaginable talent, created every one of us uniquely. And our identity should be rooted in that, that you and I are unique, not what the media throws at us. One study says that the majority of women say that, they, um, that the way they look makes them unhappy. And I think the church, we need to address that health and body image are often related. Health is really just an outfit everyone wears differently. Get that? Health is an outfit that everyone wears differently. Our minds, our bodies are actually so closely related. Self-esteem is a place where the enemy also gains control. And without knowledge of Scripture, there's really nothing to fight back with. We have to learn how to handle the emotional turmoil of not measuring up to the world's pressure around us. And yet medical research estimates that as much as 90% of illness and disease is stress-related. The mind affects the body. Isn't that crazy? And stress obviously can interfere with our physical functioning. It, it, it interferes with our bodily processes. High blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, heart disease have all been linked to stress factors. And so health and body image go hand in hand. And ignoring any of this won't make it go away. Eating disorders, emotional overeating of which I am guilty of. Like, who doesn't like a good burger and poutine? Seriously. At 12 o'clock at night. There's nothing wrong with that. It's where we're at, unfortunately. 
But these are not just simple diseases or vain diseases of the non-church. They are a cry from even people within the community saying and feeling that they are just not enough because they're seeing themselves through the world than rather than seeing themselves through what God's Scripture says to us. And so we as a church, we need to teach health and body confidence through the lens of Scripture and Jesus Christ. An unhealthy lifestyle can affect every aspect of our life. And not only is our physical affected, but our mental is affected, our spiritual is affected. You know, we have that low energy to brain fog, we have knee pain, back pain, heart disease. These physical manifestations of not taking good care of our bodies go way beyond weight gain. Feeling our best physically and spiritually and emotionally will actually help us to greater uh, live out God's calling for our lives. You know, God can empower His followers to feel good about how He created them. To learn how to take care of the unique way their body is made. And ultimately, He is the answer to everything. Again, Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Sometimes I wonder if the church doesn't think that they have the tools to teach physical health, but they do. And I think we owe it ourselves to do better, and we can do this together. We can choose to glorify God in the body of Christ. We can start the conversation of doing health with God today, even in your own home. Talk about it. And I'm talking right after you know, the biggest sugar day of the year, Halloween. Think about it. Your body, your physical health, how you feeling physically? How you feeling mentally? The words we're hearing out there during COVID are words like anxiety and mood swings, depression. The word depression is reserved for prolonged disorders of mood which require professional help. It doesn't refer to normal discouragement that all people feel at all times. And again, depression comes in a variety of degrees from severity to mild, uh, which is called dysthymia, to actually major depression as well. Most cases of depression are mild. When symptoms are mild, most people ignore them, and they're never treated. And leaving themselves chronically, at times emotionally disabled, but actually unaware of it. Researchers estimate that at least 6% of the population are chronically unhappy or in a mild state of depression. This mild state of depression, again, like I said earlier, is called dysthymia. And people with this form of depression are very susceptible to becoming severely depressed with advancing years or increasing stress. And fortunately, mild depression um, uh, responds to the uh, same treatments as severe depression. When was the last time you did an assessment on your mental health? I have for you a link in the chat so that you can download a quick checklist and you can apply it to yourself. You click that link and it will be shared with you. And if you're unable to do, th do that, you can email Jerry at Soul Sanctuary. That's Jerry with a G at Soul Sanctuary. And just place self-assessment in the subject box and we'll send that to you as well. 
You know, if you haven't been able to shut off the negative thoughts for months or years, and you see yourself described in the symptom, in the checklist, then you need to see your doctor. You need to tell him how you're feeling. Did you hear what I said? You need to see your doctor. And he'll know if you need the medications to correct the imbalance and get back your thought control. And counselors and therapists are also very helpful and help you to put your thinking back on the right track. What about anxiety? Anxiety disorders can be chemical uh, imbalances that interfere with your ability to control or stop a sense of uh, continuous worry or fear. You know, do you have especially during COVID, excessive or unrealistic anxiety and worry about a number of events or activities? Has it been noticeable on most days for at least six months? Is it difficult to control or to turn off worry? Does the worry or anxiety cause significant distress? You know, it it bothers you that you worry too much. Or significant interference with your day-to-day life. For example, worry may make it difficult for you to perform important tasks at work. Getting the job done. It, it may interfere with your intimate relationships. It may interfere with the most important relationship, and that is your pillow. And getting in the way of sleep. Again, we have a series of questions that you can ask yourself on the list, and hopefully you'll download it, you'll go through it. Yeah, we'd even go through it as a family. And if you have to, please see your doctor. What about mood swings? Well, mood swings or bipolar disorder is common. It's a genetically inherited chemical imbalance where you can't control thoughts and and moods swing from depressed to high energy-driven feelings. And depression is the most frequent form of mood disorder. Bipolar disorder, or what used to be called manic depression, is the next common, most common. It's characterized by a wide uh, mood fluctuations, ranging from deep depression and despair to extreme happiness, euphoria, and uh, drivenness or mania. And again, check the list that's there for you. Do some self-assessment. And if you feel that you need to see your doctor because of these self-assessments, let me just put it really simple. Please go see your doctor. And so you can see if we're off physically and if we're off emotionally, we're probably off spiritually as well. And we have to realize that our faith is an embodied faith. It's about an exploration of life where all that we were All that we are actually matters. Where everything about the human body and mind and and consciousness is actually spiritual. Embodied faith may be easiest to describe when I contrast it with disembodied faith. Disembodied faith sort of thinks that the proper subject of religion and spirituality is is, is something separate from our bodies. Uh, Disembodied faith thinks... This is what God cares about. You know, he just really, you know, wants to get this part of us into heaven after we die. That's all that, you know, rescuing human souls from the uh, inevitable destruction of everything else on earth. You know, the God of a disembodied faith does not necessarily take interest maybe in or love the whole of ourselves. 
So disembodied faith says that, you know, we don't need to do either. Disembodied faith is dominant in actually most and powerful strains of religious life. It's toxic. It's limiting. It's not true. It's not liberating. It's not really the good news of Jesus. It's just like something out there. It would tell us not to pay so much attention to our, our, our bodies or our brains or the context in which we find ourselves. They're not so spiritual. They're not that important. Just believe in Jesus and pray. That's all that matters. Just sort of remove it from everything else. And yes, believe in Jesus and pray, but embodied faith actually gives us permission to bring our whole selves literally to the table and approach God in a way that validates and nourishes the whole of our bodies and the whole of our unique life experience and it equips us to flourish and be agents of the flourishing of our neighborhood and of our world. You know, these two choices aren't just two ways of seeing ourselves, though. They're actually rooted in two ways of seeing God. How do you see God? Disembodied faith tells us that God is all-powerful, all-knowing. Yeah, we get that and never-changing. And the good news of Jesus can, you know, just be simply reduced to a formula that saves our souls and therefore tells us that God doesn't care about the rest of us stuff. He just cares about our souls. It's like a one-size-fits-all approach to people. And in some ways, this has actually been a thought in the Western culture, and it's actually gone all the way back to Plato, when you think about it, who thought of the divine in terms of a distant, unchanging spiritual idea. Aristotle, who imagined the divine to be an unmoved mover, which shapes all events in the universe without ever being affected by them. And the Christian faith, as it is accommodated and acculturated to these Greek ideals, at times gives us a disembodied God. But I want to argue that the God that Jesus worships and embodies, and the God that the Bible bears witness to isn't like that at all. He isn't watching from a distance and He doesn't care about anything else. There was a poem written by King David who had his fair share of trials. And in this poem, we learn about the kind of God that David was said to worship. The kind of God the Bible again and again portrays. Let me read it for you and listen carefully. It's found in 2 Samuel 22, verses 1-20. to David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. From violent people you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled around me. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to God. From His temple, He heard my voice. My cry came to His ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundation of the heavens shook. They trembled because He was angry. 
Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. (laughs) He parted the heavens and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him and dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows. He scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. The valley of the sea were exposed and the fountains of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord. At the blast of the breath from his nostrils, he reached down from on high. He took hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my despair, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. Do you hear it? The God that David sings to is not an unmoved mover, unchanging, unemotional, stoically floating out somewhere in the universe, disinterested in the peculiars of David's culture and context of his experience. No, this is a God. uh, This God is a God who changes course and acts in history. David says, in my distress I called out to God and then he listened to me. And he started doing stuff he wasn't doing before that. God hears the cry of distress. God's ears perk up. He gets started doing this intervention that maybe he hadn't previously planned on doing. And there's a whole theological debate beyond that. But at least he wasn't doing it beforehand. And this is like a template for the Bible's language about God. Responsive really particular and present in the moment. This is not about an unmoved God, a God of just steady steady intellect or theory. This is about a God who feels and, and feels and acts with a kind of passion. David looks back on his life and he borrows the central event of the Hebrew Scriptures, the exodus of his ancestors through the sea out of slavery, to symbolize God's help for him in his own difficulties. And as he works this metaphor, he, he imagines that that hot breath of passion out of God's nostrils parts the sea for the formerly enslaved children of God to march across into freedom. And the image of his poem is awesome. And you can also find it again in Psalms 18 as well. That God feels that much when one of his children cry out to him. Now beyond the metaphor God feels here about injustice and suffering is clear. It's about a God who cares about the whole human condition. You know, the exodus, after all, wasn't a response to a crisis in religious freedom or a need to get people praying more. It was a response to injustice. 
It was a need for liberation. And it wasn't just about souls and prayer and heaven or all the other important stuff that disembodied faith sort of limits its interest to. God cares about all that stuff. But God cares about all the things. He cares about all of us. And the ark of Scripture says, especially about those who cry out in distress. When you read David's poems and poetry, you see that there's a physical angst as well. And speaking of God's fond response to a distressed cry, this is also a God who likes someone. David writes, he says, God was my support. When trouble penned him in, he was confined and, and shrunken by stress and fear. David writes that God had brought him into a spacious place. And I love that image. And that all of us in our circumstance and our imposed stress and our self-imposed business and busyness and dismenishment uh, could hope for God to lead us into a spaciousness, an outer freedom, right? But also an inner freedom and peace. Whatever this all meant to David, whatever form his sense of God's rescue took, he said that God did it because, I love these words, they're so childlike, he liked me. That liking he knows from God. That love isn't cool or abstract, but it's formed, it's colored by this concept of a simple affection and pleasure. You know, and again, what we translate from Hebrew as that word delight, it tries to capture the mind and the heart of God towards God's kids. Kind of like a smile of affection, a kind of, I can't help but be kind and generous to my kids. And David, what does he say? He likes me. At the risk of repeating myself, here's what this means. God is not some sort of abstract, unmoved force or spirit who sent his son with a formula, formula to get his kids out of this hellhole and into heaven. We have to understand that God contains all the passion and wisdom and affection that comes with the best and deepest and highest, highest love that God is. And God is interested in and He's responsive to and God engages with all that we are. Our eternal destiny, but also our present challenges. Our joys, but also our distress. Our minds, our spirits, our bodies, our whole indivisible selves. We are people of home, heart, and head. We are people of body, spirit, and emotions. And all of, all of this is made in the image of God. All of that is who we are. And all of that is who God loves and cares about. And so our embodied faith is an engagement. And it's what Jesus lovingly and famously called loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
Loving God with what we say we believe, sure. But also loving God and how we feel, uh, how we trust, uh, and even loving God engaging in our faith with the stuff that we do, regardless of whether it's even backed by any belief or feeling in the moment, it's just being obedient. Now, faith to me, especially these days, includes a lot of letting go of ah, maybe things that some people would call shame, parts of me that I feel are defective or not measuring up, however you want to word it. But it also involves embracing the parts of what I love about myself and are actually tied to some things that I haven't loved about myself but are coming to understand that in spite of who I am, my good and my bad, that God likes me in all of that. Embodied faith for me is learning more deeply about my practice of exercise, and I know that my social media goes off on hockey, but again, that is something that is so important for me physically. Because after I I skate, after I play, I just am in a better place. It's like a workout for other people. What about friendship? What about our connections? What about prayer? What about Bible reading? What about evaluating our mental health and how it's all tied together? Uh, all part of how I engage faith and the love, uh, uh, the God, and how to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so, if we want to live out Romans twelve one and two, we need to address the issues in all three parts of our life. How's your mental health right now? How's your spiritual health right now? How's your physical health right now? So where do you get started? Well, ask yourself this question. What part of yourself or your life have you considered beneath or outside God's attention? That's a loaded question. What part of yourself or your life have you considered beneath or outside God's attention? I think many of us, it's physical. But maybe for some of you, it's emotional. You know, imagine that God takes interest in this. Imagine that God, you know, is actually interested in the thing that you're probably keeping the furthest from Him. And what would engaging this part of you with some kind of faith look like? Here's another question. I actually have a spiritual practice I want to share with you this week. Can you take 10 minutes a day, starting today, and just to consider or to think or to ponder about the things that God delights in you? God likes your whole self. We read that in in 2 Samuel. Your head, your heart, Right? Your mind, your emotions, your body. Take some moment, take some time and just spend it with God. How do you react? You see, the good news is that God has given us many spiritual weapons that actually defeat the darkness and win the battle for our minds. When we win that battle, our minds become peaceful and it's easy to think God's thoughts about others, about ourselves and about the circumstances that we find ourselves in, even if they're horrible. So don't give up. Don't lose the battle. You know, the gospel of Jesus 
uh, only sounds good to a heart that knows it's bad. For people who think they're good, grace becomes very frustrating. For people who know they're bad, grace is actually very freeing. So when you take that time and just ponder the blessings in which you find yourselves and the things that God is, is delighting in you, I want to encourage you to pray Philippians 4, 6, and 7 over your life. I have it literally in my phone in my day timer. It was a huge comfort during the dark time I went through when Sharon and I lost our son, Josiah. It's a very simple prayer. But I think now more than ever, to bring it back to your attention, and I know I've shared this with many of people and I want to do it again, but I've asked for it to be on the screen, so why don't you just say it with me? It's abbreviated than the actual Scripture. It's just broken down into uh, ten easy words. Anxious in nothing. Prayer in everything. Thankful in anything. And peace. That word peace is the Hebrew word that would normally translate as shalom. It conveys this concept of wholeness and completeness. Being at peace is being complete, lacking nothing. So in the midst of your turmoil, whether it's something going on and raging on in you physically or mentally or spiritually, pull out this prayer. And to be honest with you, I could never repeat this. I could never memorize it. I had to write it down. And I had to focus on that very last word. Why don't we say it again together? Without rushing through it. Consider the implications of what we're praying. Anxious in nothing. Prayer in everything. Thankful in anything. And peace. Gracious God, all around me people are suffering. Whether it's businesses, whether it's COVID, whether it's losing of a loved one, When I turn away from my own problems, I feel sorrow for the problems of others. Through the news, the media, my conversations, I'm daily confronted with pain and suffering of so many innocent people in my life and, of of course, in this world. And suffering seems to eagerly eat at the edges of life until people are worn down with sadness and despair. And even though I don't understand the reasons I believe that you are a God of love. I believe that you are a God of compassion. And I pray that you will be with all of those today that are in some pain, those who suffer silently and those who are suffering alone, who feel abandoned and left by the side of life's road, who just don't even have enough to get out of their bed. God, will you wrap your arms of grace around us? And for those who just need a special extra dose, a special extra hug, Will you wrap your arms of grace around them until they know that they are safely held in your embrace? I pray that you will fill my heart with the same compassion 
and give me eyes to see how I can lovingly be a part of their healing. And I ask this for the sake of your great love. God, may we be anxious in nothing. May we have prayer in everything. God, can we be thankful in anything? And give us your peace. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. I look at a life lesson like this, and, and perhaps the biggest hope for us as the Christian is the fact that this is not a disembodied faith, that, that as Christians we are not just, you know, hoping one day for some sort of uh, spiritual existence somewhere else, but really that the Christian faith is an embodied faith with the hope of promised resurrection, which ties perfectly in to 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going next week and the week after. Wherever you are this morning watching this, um, I need you to know that our pastoral team is here for you. It looks different where we're not able to, you know, talk with you at the cross or, or pray with you at the cross or, or meet you out in the, the atrium. Uh, it might require a little bit of, of onus on you to reach out, but I want to invite you right now through the various channels that are available, uh, texting our prayer line like we talked about earlier, uh, or, or clicking on any of the links that are up in, in your top header there. Our pastoral team is here to walk with you every step of the way on your spiritual journey. We believe that the message of Jesus is for everyone, and wherever you are, that message speaks to you now. At the same time, I want to invite those of you who may be watching who have never asked Jesus or declared Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you want to make that decision now. Uh, this is the call of a Christian to proclaim Jesus as both Lord of our lives and Savior, recognizing His saving grace on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, the gift of grace, Pastor Jerry talked about, that is so free, uh, that, that, that seems so foolish to those who think they're good, but to those of us who know that we're bad, that grace is, is what we cling to. So accepting that grace and then also saying, yes, you are Lord above anything else in my life, my desire is to pursue you. If you want to take that step this morning, we're going to throw a link in the chat and it just links you to a little form that invites you to reach out to our team. And we want to walk that journey of faith alongside of you. And so I invite you now to move, and Pastor Jerry, I invite you now to move, I mean just to move your cursor and click the link. <laughs> But Pastor Jerry will cap us off with our blessing. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. May the love which overcomes all differences, which heals all wounds, which puts to flight all fears, and which reconciles all who are separated, be in us and among us now and always. Amen. And be blessed. Now go and live the church. And we'll be here next week.